This is the Sea to Sky podcast with Marcus, weaving through the issues in Sea to Sky country. Welcome to another edition of the Sea to Sky podcast. My name is Marcus. I'm with Janice McLean in her lovely home. Thank you for inviting me this evening. Elections almost around the corner. I'm sorry I've got so late to come to you to, to interview you. Well, you're saving the best for last, Marcus. Oh, I, like <laughs> I like that. That works. There's 22 of you running for council. That's, Amazing. That's, a, that's actually about an average number. We have five mayor candidates, which is kind of surprising, but 22 is about the average for council. What makes you stand out from the other 22? Sorry, 22 is an average running for yeah. council? Usually there's about I 20. and then But surprisingly, though, nearing the election time, people start sort of petering out at that point. I think the reason why there's still a big number near the advanced polling is because there's no incumbents. Usually with right. the incumbents still there, and some people realize, yeah, you know... The incumbents will probably get right back in there, but the fact that there's zero incumbents except for Doug Race and the right. other two running for mayor, it seems like it's a wide open slate to get mm. in there. What makes you stand out from the other 22? <laughs> okay, well, what makes me stand out from the other 22, I believe, is my experience and my education. That's unique, bringing that to the table. In my early career, I was a marketing director for developers. Then I moved into business for self, contracting, consulting. I've had two businesses in Squamish. My career has taken me overseas. I've worked for foreign governments. I've worked for small business, large business, corporations, oh, entrepreneurs. I've worked for foreign governments. That's always fun. It is. It's, <laughs> it's very interesting and enlightening. I've been a resident here for over 26 years, raised three sons, have two grandchildren, I think my contract and consulting back and forth overseas, every time I come back, I'm seeing Squamish with fresh eyes. Right. And I'm seeing it from a different lens than I would have if I stayed working and living here. Mm -hmm. And that brings a huge perspective to the table that others won't. I worked here uh, in, the, in, in Squamish for a few years, many years actually, and then I moved overseas as well to pursue. I had government jobs and everything else abroad, and then moving back after nine and a half years, there is a big change, and you're right, and it is having fresh perspective with fresh eyes, and, and when you talk to people, longtime residents, and they talked about how the expansion or the growth has been, and then you talk to someone who just moved here, it's a bit of a different perspective. One is more like, resistance to change and the other's like this is great i love it i want my family to be here right and this and this town is growing and it's growing uh, at a pretty fast rate and last council they put in place a plan for growth and since we're at a precipice of of major change it seems kind of odd that they all sort of decided not to run they've done a lot of work mm -hmm. all the management plans the strategic plans the ocp I think they've accomplished a lot in a, in a relatively short period of time, and kudos to them. And it provides the next council, us, the opportunity to maintain that foundation and use it as a springboard as we move forward. Now, there will be a learning curve, but I'm a quick study. You know, I have an MBA. I have lots of experience learning. I've been a learner all my life and I'm a hard worker and I'm not afraid of hard work so all of that I don't see as a challenge what I hope with the new council is that we sit down together create a strategic plan based on what has been established for the next four years identify what we can target as achievable benchmarks set out a plan on how we're going to do that 
create checks and balances, make sure that we communicate where we're at in those plans with the community, and it will, will help us move forward in in a reasonable way you know often when I come back from being overseas and I come back for the summer and there's times that my contracts are only six months so I'll be here for six months and maybe sometimes they're two years but I always come back um, in the summer and every time I come back of course I see the change I feel the change some changes I'm very excited about like all the new energy in our community and the young people. I love their energy and what they're bringing to our community from various backgrounds and experience and work knowledge and and their passion about being here and excited. And the families, you know, the same reason I brought moved my family here is it's a safe place. We've got the, the great outdoors right out our backyard. Recreation, of course. Also, there's things that I question. Mm-hmm. How did this happen? Right. How did this come about? Yeah, um, I, I know exactly what you're going through. It's like what? What? That's a that's a large development right over there. Yeah. Where did that come from? But but you're not going anywhere soon, right? You're, you're I am. My three sons <laughs> and their three best friends are going to be carrying me out in a box from this house. Okay, good. All right. <laughs> I don't know if that's no. I no. That's not good. Hold on. Wait. <laughs> You trapped me with that one. Hold on. Um. <laughs> no, I plan on staying in Squamish for another 25 years, for sure. So you talked about a youth movement. You talked about how people come here because they love to live here. But the thing is, the majority of them don't work here. A lot of them commute into the city. A lot of them have to do their business in the city. And that sort of, I think, leaves a disconnect, I think, with community, as you're talking about. Because they spend most of their time uh, elsewhere that when they come back, they don't really have a lot of time to spend in the community. Because, I mean, if you work all week... And then you come back home, you're going to spend time with your family, go out for a bike ride or a hike. You're not going to really invest your time volunteering for this festival or that festival. And we've seen some great festivals no longer in existence, like the Children's Festival, the Fall Fair. I the think fall it's fair, because, yeah, yeah it's fall, volunteers weren't there. How do we sort of change that? Now, this leads to a chicken and egg question. I do know that, right? Because you need to bring work here, but then the housing and then this and that. So, where do we start with that big quagmire? I th- believe there's several points to that. I commuted to Vancouver for 12 years, my first 12 years of living here. Tried to work in our community, had a couple of contracts, one in Whistler, then one in Squamish, and it wasn't feasible. Um, so I had to work in the city. Uh, so I understand that commute. And having a family. On and the old highway, too. I remember uh, that. Oh, commute. yes. The, old, the old highway. highway. Yeah. Oh, boy. I don't <laughs> I don't want to tell you the stories. And well, I have stories, too. Yeah. Yes. And, of course, you know, slides and everything else that was involved. But living here, I volunteered and I raised my sons to volunteer. We volunteered at every opportunity. So when they were in elementary school, I was the president of the pack and I coached baseball and I coached soccer and I was, you know, the team manager for hockey. You know, I was great supporter of of the hockey and and driving people to their their games and everything. And how I did, I, I, I was very fortunate that I had a management position. I had some freedom of time to leave when we had early events, but also... Lots of energy, apparently. (laughs) Yeah, lots of energy. (laughs) But also, I moved to a community, and we help each other. So if I couldn't make it in time for the start of the game, I would call another parent, and they said, yeah, we'll pick up McLean or Ryan or Zach and take him to his game, 
and I'll meet you there. And then I would bring other kids home. I mean, we shared, you know, you're talking about being raised by a village. Mm -hmm. And we need more connectivity with our neighbors. Squamish is a bit unique because we're 13 kilometers, you know, the length that our communities. When I speak of neighbors, I don't just mean my neighbor next door in the Highlands. I mean my neighbors in Valley Cliff and Brackentail and Dentville. We all communicated and helped each other out. And I don't know if, if we're doing enough of that today. And as for volunteers, I think we need to teach our families, friends, and children to volunteer. We have to champion that effort because that's how you learn about your community. That's how you meet people. That's how you build connections and connectivity is really important. Yeah, we did a podcast called Squamish Identity. We, I talked to two longtime residents, actually uh, another one who, just like us, left for many years and then came back. And they both said the same thing. If you want to be part of this community and learn who your neighbors are, volunteer. It's, it's yes. paramount. But with the, you know, we have lots of growth and lots of people moving up here, lots of development. So, And we're also running out of space mm. because of those developments. And that puts us in a bit of a, bit of a pickle, let's put it that way. Because right now, the way things are going, in terms of taxes, they're a little high than they should be. Uh, they're a bit higher than I think what the average or the inflation rate should be. Uh, we're looking at uh, business taxes, especially the downtown core, the way the uh, business assessment works, that uh, their taxes are hyperinflated than where they should be. So there's a strain on the tax system, and yet we have loads of amenities. That hockey rink you brought your kids to, uh, it's not quite up to standard anymore. And so we need to add to that. We need to build to that. Plus, there's a lot of strain on other amenities like water and waste and all that sort of stuff. So how do we sort of bring vibrancy back, community back, when everything is sort of at its limit? I think we need to be a little bit more innovative and less insular in our thinking. There are many communities that have gone through what we are going through right now. And they've learned valuable lessons that they could share with us whether that's across Canada, whether that's global, whether it's our neighbors to the, the, the south, there are many communities that have gone through this level of growth and we can be inf better informed. I think sometimes we don't look far enough outside of our own parameters and our comfort zone. And there's lessons to be learned there. So what kind of lessons should we be learning? Well, some of the lessons we can learn is smart growth and I know there's talk of that and I'm sure that there's been you know a lot of studying around that and and I would have to look at the smart growth plan in detail to really appreciate the work that's been done so sometimes I may be speaking on a topic that I don't have enough information on and I'm an evidence-based decision maker I like to have all the information from all stakeholders, all information groups, special interest groups, subject matter experts before I make a decision. I understand that there was a housing crisis here. That's kind of explains this enormous boom in housing. However, have we sacrificed opportunities for businesses, a clean industry to come? Have we been too focused on the housing? Maybe it's time that we take that focus away and we really look at, okay, now we've got the housing plan in place. We've approved this many um, residents uh, to be built in the next X number of years. But what about the businesses to support living and working here? That's what people want to do. They're moving here to live, work, play. 
there, there's so many businesses out there. We have to take a leadership role and a proactive role rather than a reactive role. You know, somebody comes, they express interest. We have a gem here. And I think, you know, for the last number of years, our council and mayors have not appreciated what we have and sold the farm. And you know what? Um, I, I was in early in my career, I worked with developers, and I know what they're looking for. I know what kind of CACs that they provide. And uh, they take opportunities because that's their business. And I think we were a little caught off guard, caught with our pants down, sort of say, you know, that might not be and the right lot, thing. Because the, the speed of growth is amazing. I mean, the, the fast growth is almost like a breakneck speed that uh, all this growth has been happening. And the, I don't believe the developers or, or the businesses that we brought to town, any amenities that they contribute to or anything that they contribute to is has not been enough, never has been enough. I remember when Walmart came in and I just... And I heard, you know, what they were giving back to the community. And I just shook my head. Oh, my goodness. I wish somebody with some more business sense was at the table. And I would have negotiated harder, much harder. You must look long term. You can't look short term. They should be providing contributions to the community long term basis, not short term. And I think well, it's really short sighted. Right. Yeah, yeah I think slow. it's been sh short sighted. And then we've been caught in this position. You know, there's some industries that are amazing and, and, and huge growth would contribute to our tax base and have the type of employees that would love to live here. All the tech industries, biotech, agrotech, you know, the clean energy industries, marketing and communications. We need a marketing communications hub. We could have a film production center. We could have, you Where know. Where are going to put all this place? Like, I mean, I, we can't really build an office tower. I know the waterfront will have some office space and maybe a tower there. We, we've limited heights to about six floors in downtown Squamish with the density. I don't see these things downtown at all. I know we have some opportunity on the oceanfront, but I see the businesses on the oceanfront be more conducive to the oceanfront, whether it's yacht building or you know, kiteboard building or those kinds of things. I see these types of businesses that I'm speaking of on the old BC rail lands or they would be accommodated in the industrial part that we have at the moment. They don't take a lot of space. A lot of these are, are vertical businesses um, and technology doesn't take a lot of space today. It's not like it was in the past. I still believe we have opportunity to accommodate these. And we need to be proactive. We need to identify the businesses that we want here and pursue them. Now, to pursue them, though, that means, like, I, I ask this question, too, to everyone, not just you. But it, if you want to bring businesses in, what, what size businesses are you looking at? And, I mean, honestly, I think to bring in a business to uproot itself with 20 or even a dozen employees to uproot themselves to come here, there should be they would expect some incentives. Oh, no. I'm not thinking of small businesses. I'm thinking of big business like big corporations that support these industries. There's a, in Vancouver, I was really tempted to, to reach out to the robot technology because they're building robots. I mean, that doesn't take a lot of space. That's clean. They're building parts. I mean, the, they have investors all over the world that would love to invest in having their people working here rather than in Vancouver and not commuting um, not working from home, able to actually bike to work or whatever. There, there's opportunity for all size businesses. Truly, there are. And there's lots of entrepreneurs out there that are 
that can employ people that are already living here. And I think that's where we need to look is where are the skills of the people that are living here? Yeah. What what groups and industries are they working for? Well, we, with the cost of housing up here, I'm sure they're professionals because the, the sure. housing up here is not cheap. Uh, and it's to get these professionals to work. You know, bringing big industry up here, I, that to me sounds like, like I have to wave a little warning flag with that one because bringing big industry up here, I, you must have a, a superpower in communication to get them up here uh, without giving them any incentives. Uh, and I do appreciate that you mentioned that there's companies here that needs room to grow. And I think there is a lot of uh, fast and smart entrepreneurs here that just needs the opportunity in the space. Right. Uh, but I support entrepreneurs working from home and th that that's an opportunity as well if we don't have space if they're the small business types you know that have two or three employees maybe they have an office space in their home um, and they accommodate that when i say big business i mean clean industry i'm speaking like of recreational technology right rec tech agri tech clean tech right. yes that those are the the businesses that are growing right now and um, the industries that would be interested up here so yes Rec tech, biotech, agrotech, those are the industries. Communications, I really believe those are the industries that would that our town would appeal to. And who is talking to our newcomers? I would really like to connect with our newer community members, find out what they're doing, what their backgrounds are, where are they working in the city, and what connections do they have that could bring business to town. And we need to be proud of this little unique place we have and not sell it out. And I agree. You know, if you're bringing in more business and they're bringing in employees, that means you need to work on housing. And, and housing is a bit at its, at its limit right now, especially the way uh, we've been developing. And our OCP says we need to slow down a little bit unless they all want to live downtown with the infill. How do you propose to sort of stem what's happening with with the housing development and also the fact that we have a, like a zero rental market mm. and the fact that people are also being priced out of Squamish. It's tough. I, you know, I have three sons and they all want to reside here. Two have had to move away for work. One is back, but that's because he's studying. He's changing his, his field of interest. It's tough. They want to live here. Their friends are moving away because they can't afford to live in the community that they grew up in and it's sad it's really sad I think we have to be more creative at how we look at housing uh, there's been conversation about building houses that have suites in them you know and and making that part of the requirement you know looking at all the houses that maybe have illegal suites and make it really easy for them to legalize them you know, we have carriage houses now. A lot of people are investing in a carriage house and improves the, it, it contributes to their mortgage, helping their mortgage. But I also, again, innovative thinking, thinking outside the box, looking at other communities that have had similar challenges and learning the lessons that they have learned. And, and that's across Canada and that's global. I've also mentioned tiny home communities. You know, tiny home communities are, and I've talked to BC Housing about this, that they're mortgage people. There's no incentive for them to be involved in that. So it would mean private-public partnership. It means looking for land. And a tiny home could create a community in itself, whether it's young people, it helps people, young people get into the market. Um, it could be for seniors. It could be for adults with developmental disabilities. Creating these communities with, with a diverse mixture of age and abilities 
And that is a true community. And I think there's opportunities for that. You know, the rental housing market has been tricky. Uh, they're building some uh, rental purpose um, buildings right now in Loggers Lane. To let the market dictate, I don't think we would actually have a lot of rental, but thankfully these two buildings are being built. When it comes to suites, I mean, uh, they, they know that the district uh, sort of got rid of the DCCs on suites, so if you want to build one, that's fine. The problem is a lot of, a lot of people put their stuff on Airbnb. Mm -hmm. And then Tofino learned this lesson, whereas if you ban or uh, strongly restrict Airbnb, people just take their mark they take their space off the market. They don't even want to bother because they they rather do the short term. They don't want long term renters. And also, we're going to have an issue with I think with Whistler um, because Vale Corp is totally different in their thinking than Intrawest. They don't they want their they don't care where their where their workers reside. You need to commute in, and you commute in. That's that's how it works, right? And so we're going to have some pressure, I think, on. On, on from the Whistler employees and then our, ourselves with our service industry to sort of house these people. And yeah, you're right. Thinking outside the box would definitely be helpful, but that maybe that's be like the long term. How can we alleviate somewhat this, this problem in the interim? Because businesses right now are struggling because they, you know, they can't pay staff the wages to cover. The it's cost the cost of living. Of living. Yeah. It's the cost of living here. That's an, a, one of my biggest concerns is affordability here. And personally, I don't have the answer, but I'm willing to look for answers. And again, reaching out, being proactive in finding those answers, speaking with communities that have had similar issues and identifying how we can make improvements that are good for Squamish by learning those lessons. So I don't have the answers at the moment, but I'm willing to find those answers. Now let's talk about if we're talking about industry and sort of diversifying the market, you know this question was coming, so here it is. LNG, where should Squamish stand on LNG? Protect our environment. Absolutely. Our environment does not have a voice. We have to be its voice. I am opposed to anything that destroys the beauty of our nature. My understanding is that it was a done deal. And if that's true, we need to really be at the table, engage in a conversation that mitigates risk, but also set our levels of tolerance. And I think we need to be really strong there, but we also need to communicate and be sitting at the table having the conversation. And I don't know if that's happened. I don't know how much conversation well, there the has thing. been. We haven't been there for the last four years. The, the, a lot of the council, many members of council last year ran on a no LNG campaign and then they made it into, into office. However, they haven't been at the table for any negotiations, which is why we've had this issue where the province and the federal government says, well, if they're not going to talk to you, just give them this much money and that's it, move on. Um, there's been a basic assessment of either 6 to $10 million, perhaps, that we can make if they get in there. Uh, we still haven't had a real full-fledged assessment. Um, but there are also the fact that um, LNG hasn't put in their uh, financial, I think, analysis of, um, paper. I think it's one of those uh, financial investment uh, pa um, papers where they still haven't figured out how much money they're going to put into the project. Uh, also, they've delayed construction by a few years as they're sort of assessing what's happening or, I guess, what's going on with the project. So, but at this time, though, even though there's seemed some wavering, they've been very strong on certain points like Daryl Bay, that they want full control at the time of for four years. Um, they're still debating where they're going to put their, their local headquarters here. Mm -hmm. um, and they still, they still, I think they're trying to mitigate costs, right? But since we haven't been at the table for the last four years, we still have strong leverage? Absolutely. Absolutely we do. But we need to be talking to them. That's a shame heads in the sand like an ostrich or maybe that 
other things were a priority. This has created the monster or, or whatever it has because we've been ignoring it. That's a shame. We need to be at the table with every conversation that affects our community. And that's not just with that project, it's with every project. And open to communication, having subject matter experts at the table that can give us the information we need to make the decisions. First Nations were here long, you know, my 26 years is a drop in the sea compared to the ocean of time they have been here. We share this community with First Nations and we share with the community obviously with all the visitors that come and enjoy it. If we lose what we have, there will be no life left here. Visitors won't come. People won't want to live here. It doesn't matter how many buildings you build or businesses you bring into town. If we don't have the nature and beauty of our community, we have nothing. And we have to protect it. So, okay. Does that mean if there's an opportunity to stop LNG, is that what your stance is? You would actually try to stop it? Yes. All right. You know, it's funny because, you know, people were asking me about LNG. I didn't have enough information. And my response would be, well, I use natural gas. I have a natural gas stove. I have natural gas fireplaces. I'd be a hypocrite if I said I didn't want it here. Because we have to accommodate. If we want to use it, we have to accommodate, right? We need to work with these industries. Mm -hmm. But there's other opportunities for clean energy. And we have a beautiful place, lots of water. But if it's not a done deal, absolutely. This natural gas is meant for China. So they put these tankers and they get these tankers come up and down to be shipped down to, uh, to shipped over to China. So it's not necessarily for us. Fortis BC, I think, is is uh, up with the project because they'll be selling. But ge generally, LNG will be shipping to China. From what my understanding is, I could be totally wrong. But if we're selling it offshore, dead against it. If it's for Canada, I would take a tough look at it. But Canada has to stop selling its natural resources. We have got to stop. We are a vast nation, and we have so much land and resources. But if we keep digging it and cutting it down and damming it and mining it, we will not have anything left for future generations. This is not renewable energy. We need to focus on renewable energy. I need to get you in touch with Matt Blackman. Okay. Matt Blackman is definitely an authority of the green tech and, and uh, Squamish area. He's on one of our podcasts just to self-promote myself. Okay. <laughs> I think I think I've I've um, seen his name, so I'll go yeah, and listen for sure. With the light bulb near the bottom. All right. Well, so let's move from one industry to another one that's in the tourist sector that's coming, uh, or at least they've been talking about coming for the last 40, 50 years. I think even before you moved here, they talked about putting a ski hill over there at Rome Ridge. So Garibaldi Squamish. Uh, and, and it's Kerr's inception. Is it, does it, is it a go or no go for you? Again, Marcus, I need information to make a decision. I would look at it with a critical eye. I'm always going to be the voice for protecting what we have here and how beautiful it is. I've heard lots of for it and lots of against it, but I need more information before I would make a decision. I have the original Garibaldi at Squamish proposal. It was off the charts. Which from when? Circa when? From 1990. I mean, I mean, I, I understand oh, this has been going on for 50, for 50 years or something. No, 1997 or 8. So a fairly recent one. A fairly recent one. And yeah. it was a huge proposal. What I've seen of this proposal, it's a little more palatable. 
but that still doesn't mean I'm for or against it as yet. It's not a done deal. We have a long ways to go before that's even acceptable. Yeah, Garley Squamish, where it stands now, they seem primed to go. I think one issue for me, the biggest issue, is when they want to transfer lands because they're trying to be part of the district. Uh, SLRD has given them a hard time, and the province said, yeah, we're not really fond of you becoming a resort municipality. The fact that they sort of need us raise the flag is one of those things, like, if you're going to be so lucrative, why do you need to attach to us? But again, it comes to resources and amenities. And, and how much that's going to cost for us to take that land is, is a big thing. My next question, which I actually put to them when I talked to them, was uh, infrastructure. So 30 or 40 years down the road, when everything starts to not work as it should, who, who holds the bag at that point? And those are, my, I think, my two big concerns. Water, well, I mean, for their environmental assessment, they've so far met all their requirements, and they've been working closely with First Nations. But it's that initial step towards getting them on board is with that change of land when we go and take that we, we extend our borders should that be a question for the people like should that be a referendum question or is that should be uh, something that it's um, the council should be ha- holding on on their own absolutely not a council decision that is a community decision yes it would go to referendum Referendums are tough. They're 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 quite tough. And the things and it's they funny. are tough, but they get the community talking. Yeah. As long as we talk and and remain respectful of each other's perspective, I I believe that's really important. We need to have conversations because somebody brings a different perspective to the conversation, a different lens, different information. I'm all about collaboration and relationship building. It's really important to me because that keeps the lines of communication open. If we're not at the table in the conversations, missed opportunity to be part of the conversation. Speaking of conversations with the other communities, in Whistler now, the the new mayor, Jack Crompton, he's a claim mayor. He's uh, he's opened up negotiating um, or reaching out to other communities around Whistler. What kind of relationship would you like to build with Whistler that seems to be missing in the past? Oh, a collaborative relationship. A, a relationship where we support each other. And we are neighbors, just like West Vancouver, Lions Bay, Britannia. I think there needs to be more conversation in our the corridor. I understand the SLRD, but our communities in the corridor need to be sitting down and having conversations together and looking at win-win-win. And it's not just win-win, you and I. It's win for our community, win for our corridor and win for the people that live here and those that want to work and play here. So the first thing I think we would talk about with Whistler is reestablishing a transit in the corridor. Correct. What would that kind of look like in your mind? Well, we have opportunity for private enterprise to come in, coach lines and that sort of thing. Absolutely, we need a coach line transit between Squamish and Whistler without question. I understand the province funds about 48% and the balance is on the the community to fund uh, and they also collect the fare box. Sitting down with the mayor and council of Whistler would be the first step. Also sitting down with all the communities and creating a strategic plan that would serve the entire corridor. If we sit down together, all of us, and create that plan what it looks like, what our tolerance level, what it's vi- what we feel is viable and equitable for each of us and all of us. And we present that to the province to support a funding and present a funding program. 
where would we get our 52% of the funding? We would look at how we would divide yeah. the balance and then ask the government for more, whether it's contribute the carbon tax towards that. This is our financial plan, and we've decided it as a team, as a corridor, and present it to the government. Uh, I think they would seriously look at supporting it, additional funds, or creative funding, or maybe providing us with some of the carbon tax that they're collecting for the corridor. That would be the trick, right, is, is the funding aspect, because the, the reason why it sort of fell apart is because the funding wasn't there. From carbon tax, do you actually mean gas tax or, or actual mm-hmm. carbon tax are we talking about here? Mm-hmm. The gas tax that we have, I'm not sure, but seven cents or, or whatever it is that we pay the government. What about if that comes back to us as a funding option for our transit? How about a possible excise tax, mainly like the, the lower mainline? I mean, their, their prices are about 16 cents uh, ex- excise tax in the lower mainline, and yet we're paying the same price up here without the excise tax. I would like to learn more about this. I know that our present mayor has made a request about the competition laws. One of my best friends happens to be a globally respected competition law expert. She teaches competition law. She has her doctorate in it. And these are questions that I could reach out to her and have her look at what's going on in, in the corridor and what options that we might have for that, those, those taxes. Just a thought. It's good to have connections. <laughs> yeah. it's, always, yes. it's always good to know people. And I have a lot of connections. I've worked with a lot of really dynamic, interesting people that have done amazing, amazing things, like high commissioners of the UK and the United States. You know, those are people I keep in contact with. When I was you know, directing the evacuation of the Cayman Islands after Category 5 hurricane, I was the head liaison with the High Commissioner of the United States, High Commissioner of the UK, Embassy officials of Canada, US, UK, South Africa, Australia, and Mexico. And those connections, I tell you, are gold, and I still keep in touch with several of them. Extraordinary experience. A learning lesson for me on, on actually how strong I am and how... Um, how caring I am about people and compassionate and empathetic and but tough like I had people I highly respected that were like crying at my feet get me out of here it was a a really extraordinary experience I learned a lot about myself for sure so when you think of Squamish you've been here for about 26 years Um, when you look at downtown core and you look at what it may become in terms of infill and we're looking at uh, buildings about six stories high is that does that frighten you or is that something we need to do it doesn't frighten me but it saddens me Mm -hmm. there's a certain charm about our downtown but it does need improvement it needs an improvement plan absolutely those mountains the the views that we have from just walking the streets when and if that is gone there's no reason to come downtown Oh, yeah, with those vistas, yeah. Yes. So I think we always need to be cognizant of our decision-making that will impact that. I understand density, but it's a peninsula. It has one way in, one way out. Oh, we're getting there, yeah. So, <laughs> you know, it has its its challenges just by topography alone. And are we going to build bridges? There was this talk of building a bridge up Clark Drive to the oceanfront lands, and there is lots of imagination put into 
you know, well, there's what been talk about making Cleveland one way, pedestrian only. And because, yeah, it is one way in, one way out, and there's a railway across it. So it, it can get really jumbled up. Plus, now you have the Jumar building right there, mm-hmm. and it's it's going to get very busy, especially the beginning and end of school. It's going to keep getting busier. The more that we try and build in, in our downtown, the busier it's going to get. But that's, but that's what they seem to have decided is one of those things like the OCP is like infill downtown, get the get the density downtown, and so we don't have that sprawl elsewhere. But we have no amenities downtown. Our community amenities are out of downtown. Our recreation center is not downtown. Our pools, our trails downtown, no. There are no amenities for for the community downtown. So they have to leave there anyways. Shopping, the commercial area is spread out along the corridor. Unless there's more amenities downtown to keep people downtown, then why densify downtown? We need the amenities as well. Again, let's look outside of our insular selves Mm -hmm. and see where there's been lessons learned elsewhere. I remember going down the Oregon coast with my boys and, you know, we stopped in every little town and went along the beachfront and that sort of thing. And I remember this little town... There was two-way traffic, but single-lane two-way traffic downtown. But they had taken away all the parking spots and extended the sidewalk. And so you went through town, and then there was a turnaround, and you went back. So you couldn't stop, but it created kind of a spectacle because everybody would be on the sidewalks having their coffee or or drinks, and, and there'd be a second level where there's bars and restaurants and it was like a welcome like oh look who's coming or we're over here and Mm -hmm. and you just drive and it was it was a really neat experience where would you park your car well then there was parking (laughs) there was a parking outside and then you would walk into town because we're a peninsula right so that means you'd you'd be in favor of of a of a parkade somewhere where you can park your car like a multi-level parkade that's possible. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's cause, possible. Because that's the thing. Absolutely. Like if you start eliminating parking off the roads, I mean, th- we already have a parking issue. So if you start removing parking, you need to put a car somewhere. That, that's very possible. And a parkade doesn't have to be, you know, high structure. But yeah, absolutely. That's possible. So Anything's we, possible. You, you brought up Brennan Park and you brought up ice sheets in Brennan Park. And that, that needs serious fixing. Um how do you plan on tackling that situation in terms of funding, in terms of how to get there? And I'm passionate about organized recreation, art, and culture, and I'll get to that. So Brennan Park, I understand it's not our land, and there'd be some issues about acquiring that. Beyond that, there are private sector partnerships that would be very viable. For example, I'll just name, I know TELUS has moved away from supporting recreational sport. And they are focusing all their corporate social responsibility on families and communities. Maybe it becomes a TALUS Brennan Park Recreation Center. Maybe it's an opportunity for TALUS or any corporation to have a partnership with our community and put their name on our building. Rogers, Shaw. But also there's another opportunity and that's the YMCA. And I grew up in Victoria, and we belonged to the YMCA. I lived in the Cayman Islands off and on, and they had no recreation facilities. All of the recreational, indoor recreational facilities were privately owned. And so the YMCA took an interest because they really believe 
in their product, and that is families coming together and communities coming together. Those that play together will stay together. And that may be an opportunity to approach the YMCA and see if they will partner with us. I believe, stop being so insular, and I believe there are opportunities to have conversations and see how realistic it is. Now, one thing I do want, I want to bring up, can I bring up? Yeah, go ahead. I was about to ask you, is there something I've I've (laughs) overlooked or missed that you would like to bring up? So, I am very passionate about the arts. I grew up playing instruments, grew up going to the theater, live theater, grew up attending the symphony. I used to take my boys to the library, then we'd go to the pool, and then we would, they'd sit around, I'd play the piano. I really believe in the arts, and you said you know McLean, and he's... He's been on stage a few times. A few times, and he loves it. He loves it and enjoys it. I haven't had a lot of experience in theater, but it was his joy of participating in theater that got me involved with Between Shifts Theater. And I would get involved every chance I got. Even in the Cayman Islands, I volunteered for the theater group there. I donated almost everything I owned to the theater group when I when I left there um, because they can use all kinds of props. And I immediately asked to join the board of directors of Between Shifts Theater when I returned to Canada. So I am on the board. We are really missing a place for our community to celebrate creative arts and performing arts. And I want to champion an art center in Squamish. Again, public-private partnership, Mm -hmm. lots of opportunity. We have the family base that would enjoy it, and it would thrive in our community. And that's really something that I personally want to champion here. Our two mayor candidates, um, Karen, uh, brought up having uh, hubs, like neighborhood hubs, and basically have these uh, little areas of of community that can create and you have your social areas like uh, the Brackenhill Art Gallery. You can walk there and you can see some performances and, and sort of have these little uh, these little hubs. Susan Appel said the same thing. She went a little bit bigger, though, with when it comes to terms to logger sports, like putting a dome there or uh, some sort of uh, outdoor uh, sure. tenting or whatever uh, to have some performances happening there. Sure. So they're both aware of the different the different programs that are available or the, the, the you know, bringing, supporting arts here because we do have actually one of the highest – uh, artist communities in Canada yeah. per capita. You have more artists here than I think anywhere else in Canada. The question is, what do we do with the bag? <laughs> that that one is. Uh, it's an intimate place. Thor has done an incredible he's job, amazing, of he's creating this unique little hub. I like its intimacy, and that is unique in itself. It's, it's a and I, place, yeah. I wouldn't touch it. I am speaking of a center for the arts. I'm not talking about logger sports ground or the bag. I'm talking about everyone under one roof having a place. And maybe it's going to be part of the new vision for Brennan Park. It has to be in the center of our community. We are fragmented enough just in the distance we have between all our communities. We need to bring our communities together in one place. And that's like the Brandon Park area, just like the ball fields that were created. And I remember how much work that was. Oh my gosh. It was, it was a long involved process. And I don't, I don't expect this in the next four years. I want to see a plan in the next four years or the conversation that it's included if we're looking at Brandon Park expansion, improvement, whatever. I want it included. Because our families want more than just a skating arena and a swimming pool. 
they want a place that they can be active as a family. And that includes the arts, all the arts. Well, Janice, if someone wants to know more about your programs and about <laughs> your, 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 your spirited bringing the arts to, to Squamish, how can they get in touch with you? They can phone me. My phone number's on the sign. I welcome conversation. 604-815-9518. If you Google me, you'll get all my LinkedIn, see my Facebook page, McLean for Counselor, Hardwired for Our Community, my website, which is Janice McLean for number four, squamishcouncil.wordpress.com. It's awfully long. But if you Google Janice D. McLean, and I emphasize the D because I guess my name's quite popular. (laughs) (laughs) Common name, indeed. So um, all those profiles will come to the top of the page, and my photo, and you'll recognize me, I hope. (laughs) Well, thank you very much for doing this, Janice. No, thank you, Marcus, and thank you, Sea to Sky Podcast, because this is a huge contribution to our community. Like you said, our community commutes, they're active, they're out there, and this is an opportunity that can listen on their way to work, they can listen on th- while they're biking. I really believe in what you're doing and keep up the good work, and this is another way our community can connect, so thank you. Thank you very much. This is the Sea to Sky Podcast. If you have a comment or story ideas, please check out our website at SeaToSkyPodcast.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Sea to Sky Podcast. Thank you for clicking us on 